Email us at sports at wcbn.org or call the station at 734-763-3500. Pass comes forward. Here's Hensick. Now to Kalorik. He's behind the defense. He's in. Shot and score. Chad Kalorik out of the penalty box gives the Wolverines a 4-0 lead. Hi, this is Adrian Blue. Keep listening to WCBN FM right here in Ann Arbor. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. Jim Dwyer has the night off. Undoubtedly, he's dealing with the end of semester uh, school crunch with uh, grading papers and whatnot. So he'll probably be back next week. And we have a guest engineer this evening, Tex Mannheim. One of my favorite dudes down here at WCBN. This guy does a heck of a job on the... uh, down home show on saturday afternoons from 12 to 3 and uh, also the folk show and i'm a regular listener oh i catch probably 90 percent of their shows and uh, i it's my understanding they might even have a special life band this weekend uh, on one of those gigs because i heard bob talking about it this past saturday indeed we will well i guess tonight we'll talk a little bit about the right to work <laughs> the right to tax the right to prank, and other assorted oddities that are beleaguering our holiday season. Uh, I guess first we'll start out with the local story. Uh, Michigan, of course, has been making national news. Uh, Today, of course, Barack Obama is in uh, the greater Detroit area, highlighting uh, uh, some new job expansion uh, goings-on in the automobile industry and interestingly condemning the recent right-to-work vote that the Michigan State Legislature just passed this past week, and apparently Rick Snyder is uh, going to sign this. So I wanted to give a brain damage award out to both the Michigan State Legislature and Rick Snyder for uh, 
signing this bill or even promoting it. Uh, it, it strikes me as exceedingly dangerous in an era of really obstructionism <laughs> that we have in a lame duck session of Congress, uh, or in this case, the state legislature, a bill of this magnitude being pushed forward uh, very hastily with uh, very little consideration, almost no public hearings, no real discussion about the policy issues. And the right to work uh, law, of course, you can make an argument that the organized labor might have made a mistake trying to put this on, uh, ratifying it into the Constitution. This past year, that went down to defeat along with all the other proposals. I think most Michigan voters were reluctant to amend the Constitution in a variety of policy uh, disputes, and appropriately so. And we got sick of the ads. And, of course, Maddie Maroon, the owner of the Ambassador Bridge, spent somewhere between 30 and $50 million trying to put two of his personal proposals uh, into the United, uh, Michigan State Constitution. But this right-to-work dispute, uh, it, it was part of the presidential campaign this past year. And I think that uh, the Michigan State Legislature is making a terrible error here. Uh, I was looking at a map of the states that have right-to-work laws around the country, and this apparently is going to make Michigan the 24th state to uh, uh, implement this concept. Uh, there are a couple of other states in which this legislation is pending. And, of course, almost all of the states are south of the Mason-Dixon line. Many of them have very high unemployment rates including Nevada and Mississippi. This idea that it brings jobs or lower unemployment is basically false. And this is one of the ideas that's being promoted here by the GOP. Um, the policy issues, uh, really uh, on something this big, of this magnitude, I think need to be openly discussed in the, the form uh, that we know as democracy. And yet this is being rushed through in a lame duck session of, con of the state legislature. Some of these guys are going to have their behinds hit by the door as they leave the building of the state capitol in a couple of weeks. And why they're allowed to vote on uh, legislation of this magnitude strikes me as uh, improper, uh, to say the least. And I would urge Rick Snyder to save himself a lot of political grief and simply veto this bill. Uh, he's been kind of a sly fox on this whole matter. He's uh, promoted the concept, but it's not part of his agenda. It's not a high priority. And I think that we can probably take him at his word. But what he really should do is stand up for principles, stand up for democracy, and save yourself a bruising uh, re-election battle, because this is going to be at the heart and soul of... Uh, the re-election issue. I sincerely doubt that there's any establishment Republican that would have successfully been able to challenge Rick Snyder from the right uh, in a primary uh, in uh, 2014. So I think he's making a political mistake as well. The states with low unemployment that have right-to-work laws, by the way, include the Dakotas and Nebraska. Uh, these are three states that have... Um, the lowest unemployment in America currently. But that doesn't prove that right-to-work laws work. These states are very small. 
Indeed, I'm willing to uh, bet the farm and all the farms in North Dakota and South Dakota that Michigan have more people than North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska combined. Why do I know this? Because the two Dakotas each have three electoral votes, and Nebraska has five. Uh, So that means that there's 11 total electoral votes there. You subtract the six senators, that means they've got five, a grand total of... uh, Yeah, five. Uh, In other words, the Dakotas each have one uh, representative uh, for the entire state. In other words, they have more senators than they do a House of uh, Representatives uh, in the United States Congress. And Michigan, of course, has 16 electoral votes. Um, North Dakota, also interestingly, while it's experiencing a boom because of the uh, fossil fuel and the fracking that's going on, Uh, More on that in a second. It was reported this past week that a major study out of the University of Texas has been withdrawn for scientific fraud and conflict of interest. Two members of the the, uh, University of Texas faculty have resigned after publishing a study that indicated that fracking was safe. Well, I think that the fracking issue, just as an aside here, needs to be Uh, sorted out rather quickly because before America starts polluting its groundwater and fouling up uh, many of our rural areas with uh, perhaps devastating pollution, I think water is more important than fossil fuel. And uh, the idea that we should be on a fracking boom right now uh, when we don't fully know all of the scientific issues involved with the consequences of fracking are... um, you know, are in need of further study. And, of course, when I say that most of the other states have uh, <clears throat> that have right-to-work laws have very high unemployment rates, I'm not kidding. We're talking here about North Carolina, South Carolina, Mississippi, and uh, Nevada. Both have double-digit, higher uh, state unemployment rates that are, exceed double digits. In fact, they're higher than the state of Michigan. On the specifics of the policy, um, just to uh, refer to an article uh, that's hardly a friendly uh, supporter of union rights, which is the Wall Street Journal, back on the 27th of January, Melanie Trotman, uh, in an article entitled, Foes Fans Cite Oklahoma's Right to Work Law, and indeed they discussed the fact that Oklahoma and in 2001 uh, became a right-to-work state, And because of the energy boom uh, in Oklahoma, that's where a lot of the refinery uh, products end up. I think that's where the major Keystone pipeline uh, is ultimately destined down for the Oklahoma-Texas border area. Uh, They've seen their unemployment rate go down very slightly, but I hardly think this uh, confirms that right to work uh, is the proper uh, way to go on the policy. Um. To quote a um, some some data here, and this is what's kind of interesting, because the the article itself uh, presents conflicting information regarding the success of the policy itself. 
Uh, Melanie Trotman writes, Oklahoma's recent job growth is courtesy of a boom in the state and oil and gas industry, which has nearly doubled its jobs in the state since 2001, according to the State Commerce Department. Oklahoma's economy is doing well, was doing well before the law, with an unemployment rate below the national average for most of the 1990s. Meanwhile, the state wage in current dollars has risen since 2001, according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. The law is a tiny thing in the realm of everything that goes into determining job growth, said Gordon Laffer, an associate professor at the University of Oregon who studied right-to-work laws in Oklahoma and elsewhere. Quote, I think it's a bad law, Mr. Laffer said, who is also affiliated with the Left-Leaning Policy Institute, Economic Policy Institute, excuse me. The study on right-to-work laws between 2001 and 2006 found the economies of these states grew an average of 3.4% compared to 2.6% without the laws. The study by Paul Kersey of the Mackinac Center in Midland, uh, Michigan, said that over the same period of time, jobs grew 1.2% in annually right-to-work states compared to 0.06% in the other states. Now, of course, that data may be fascinating, but it's not conclusive, because what that data ignores is the fact that these states have grown in population much greater than the states that don't have right-to-work laws. In fact, what's interesting about Michigan uh, passing this law is not only will it be the only state north of the Mason-Dixon line, uh, based on the you know the Civil War analysis of the Mason-Dixon line, to pass such a law, other than Indiana, which became the 23rd state. And by the way, the results on Indi- the success of the Indiana law are not yeah, really proven that that this uh, succeeded in any way, shape, or form. Several of the states, Iowa, Nevada, and Florida, are what I would call purple states. There are toss-up states in the election, and the rest of these states are decidedly red states. Uh, The only other exception is Virginia, which I would argue is now an emerging blue state. And Virginia's success in job growth has nothing to do with right-to-work laws. It has to do with the expansion of the federal government during the George Bush administrations, particularly the area of national security. Let's remember that the Homeland Security Bureau, or whatever it's called, the Homeland Security Department, didn't even exist before 9-11. It now has a budget of $80 billion. This past week, uh, Bradley Manning has been uh, having his court-martial hearings uh, in... uh, I forget exactly where they're being held at the moment. I want to say Guanaco, Virginia, but don't uh, bet the farm on that one. Over the past um, decade, the cost to protect U.S. secrets has doubled to over $11 billion. So it's interesting, in 2001, the cost to protect our quote-unquote secrets was $4.7 billion. Now, according to a shot scan, uh, shot sh- Scott Shane article dated the 3rd of uh, July 2012, uh, we are now spending about $13 billion to protect our, quote, state secrets, unquote, which is more than the entire annual budget of the EPA, to give you some perspective. So in other words, the job growth in the state of Virginia, to use a palpable example, has nothing to do with right to work. In fact, the jobs that are being created in Virginia are largely federal jobs in which there are unions, there are union protections. Benefits uh, tend to be uh, 
better than the uh, private sector. And um, the, the cause and effect have nothing to do with the right to work. And this is one of the mistakes that the Michigan State Legislature has made. They get a brain damage award. I think that Rick Snyder, it would behoove Rick Snyder to simply stand up for principle and veto this bill, simply say, this isn't a high priority of mine. I'm vetoing it. And uh, the veto will not be overridden. And Snyder will uh, do himself an enormous political favor by uh, not doing this. Now, Scott Walker, you know, one of the examples they cite is that Scott Walker survived the recall. Well, Scott Walker received $30 million of outside money, and he outspent his opponent in this recall uh, rematch uh, this past summer um, almost 10 to 1. And, of course, most of that uh, money came from outside the state of Wisconsin uh, by the corporate moguls uh, associated with the Koch brothers and other uh, billionaires and multimillionaires that are trying to decimate uh, working uh, people's rights. This didn't succeed in Ohio, by the way. Uh, Obama won Ohio rather comfortably, not easily, but comfortably. And they, of course, had an enormous uh, attempt by uh, the governor there, John Kasich, to implement uh, uh, collective bargaining reforms that uh, ultimately failed. So I think that uh, Snyder is making a political mistake as well. Now, on to some other interesting sort of media-related stories. Uh, the the um, First, let me give out a brain damage award really quickly to Jim DeMint. Uh, Jim DeMint is uh, the junior senator from South Carolina, and he sort of surprised colleagues over this past week, I think it was two, uh, Thursday, when he suddenly announced that he is... Who, and he's 61, by the way, uh, the, he suddenly announced that he's resigning from the United States Senate to take over the presidency of the Heritage Foundation. And he justified this move on the grounds that uh, uh, he wanted to talk about ideas. He suggested to the uh, public, and his uh, sycophants in the media have suggested to the public that the uh, problem that the Tea Party and the far conservatives are having in America is that they're not communicating their message uh, very well. And I, I thought, well, yeah, their problem is is that Rush Limbaugh and Glenn Beck and others, all the Fox uh, News uh, folks, uh, the, they're on 90% of the AM radio stations. That's the only thing people listen to. Um, and, of course, Glenn Beck and uh, Rush Limbaugh have been exposed as frauds. And I don't think there's any lack of message being presented here. So I sincerely disagree with Jim DeMint's diagnosis of the problem. Jim DeMint is obviously going to run for president as a Tea Party hero. That's uh, the uh, title of the article announcing his resignation. And, of course, his Senate seat now will be filled by an appointment by the Another Tea Party favorite, Nikki Haley, who gets to appoint somebody to fill the seat until the 2014 election cycle. And there are various rumors about who this might be. I think it's somewhat irrelevant. Jim DeMint, in fact, was an obstructionist in the Senate. He was the epitome of what is exactly wrong with the Senate. And I wanted to relay a very famous example of his obstructionism because it is connected to union uh, rights and union issues. Um, 
There was an incident, and ironically, it uh, is connected to the state of Michigan. Over a couple of years ago, the infamous Chris, uh, Christmas bombing incident in in, uh, in Detroit that happened right around Christmas Day in 2009, in which a brainwashed Al-Qaeda uh, supporter out of Yemen, who I think, as I recall, was actually from Nigeria, uh, became known as the underwear bomber, and he was apprehended by passengers on this plane where he attempted to blow up this airplane using a bomb that was concealed in his underwear. And uh, basically all he did was uh, fry his wiener. Uh, and the uh, thing didn't succeed. Well, Jim DeMint had prevented a union head at the, uh, the, the so-called TSA, the transportation um, bureaucracy that was involved in airport security, he had prevented a head, uh, an appointment from being uh, put into that position, the TSA, um, which I think stands for Transportation Security Agency, because this guy was, in, was not against uh, the TSA forming a, a union. And he had put a solely on his own sort of power that they give the senators this ridiculous idea that one senator can prevent. It's called a hold. And he's allowed to prevent hearings. In other words, they have this thing that's part of the rules in the Senate called unanimous consent. And he refused to give unanimous consent so that this guy could get a hearing. Then DeMint and others began to complain about the Obama administration's uh, security uh, performance at the time. And it was, it was a joke. Uh, and Jim DeMint was responsible for the obstructionism there. So uh, America's not going to miss him. Uh, he's, he's obviously going to be in the public eye as the president of the Heritage Foundation. It's my understanding that the last president of the Heritage Foundation who was so invisible on television, I can't even remember his name, because I, I sincerely can't. And I follow uh, the news probably as much as anybody. So he wasn't very visible, but I'm sure that Jim DeMint will be very visible on TV, uh, raising money, and um, uh, trying, to, trying to brainwash the American people. It says that under Jim DeMint's, and this is from the Jennifer uh, Steppenhauer article, Jim DeMint's leadership and his PAC, the Senate Conservative Fund, spent $5.48 million in 2010 and the 2012 elections. And out of 27 races that it stepped into, his preferred candidate won either the primary or the general election eight times. Hmm. My math is uh, not failing me here. That's a pretty good batting average in baseball. It's a little below 33%. I wouldn't call that a real good batting average in p politics. Uh, so Jim DeMint's idea that the American people need to be sold the, the conservative message more effectively is a bunch of rubbish. Uh, it, it, it's, its message has been failing for many years now because of things like the Michigan State Legislature pushing through a lame duck right to work bill. Let's recall that the uh, Republican Party in 1988 during the lame duck session of the American Congress tried to impeach Bill Clinton. Boy, that was uh, really a bad idea at the time. It was a waste of time. It was an embarrassment to the United States. 
I mean, our system is demonstrably broken for a lot of reasons. And Jim Dement is part of the problem. So good riddance to Jim Demented Dement. He gets a brain damage just for existing. And we'll see him out of the Senate. I don't know anything about his successor because it hasn't been named, but uh, they certainly can't be any worse. And expect Jim DeMint to run for president in uh, 2016 because I think that's what his real goal is here. He doesn't want to be saddled down with Senate votes and embarrassing uh, gaffes that senators make sometimes when they give speeches on the, on the floor and whatnot. Now, one other uh, kind of troubling and interesting media story that I wanted to mention real quickly, just because we are a radio station, is this whole incident that occurred involving the Australian uh, uh, DJs and the, uh, the royal family. And I wanted to uh, highlight what, what I think is wrong here with the way the media has dealt with this story. Uh, of course, the British tabloids have tried to rake these DJs over the coals, and indeed, uh, perhaps their uh, prank call was uh, inappropriate and maybe got out of hand. But let me just say that we don't know all the facts here. We do not know why uh, this nurse, uh, let's see, her name is uh, Jacintha Saldana. We don't know why she committed suicide she, or if she was alleged to have committed uh, apparently of suicide. She was found dead apparently of suicide. But we don't know all the facts in this case. And it strikes me as jumping to big conclusions that these two events are connected. They might be. On the other hand, they might not be. Uh, she apparently, all she did was take the call and put it through to the other nurse that uh, really fell for the prank. So I think rather than jumping to conclusions, about this whole incident. I think that there's a very interesting story, uh, story, loose ends in Sunday's New York Times by a man named Peter Funt, whose father, uh, Alan Funt, apparently was the um, leader or the producer or the whoever you want to call it, the, the main entity behind Candid Camera which was a sort of a thing, a gotcha thing that they used to play on TV in which people would be caught doing embarrassing things and everybody would laugh and it would be ha, ha, ha. Um, and he writes in this article, Loose Ends, about this, the pranks. And he says, The tragic turn will undoubtedly prompt debate about practical joking in the digital age when everything is magnified by the potential for viral distribution. The facts are not still fully clear in this case of the nurse's death, but it seems that once again the medium is more to blame than the message. A phone prank uh, continued to those directly involved in the call is not likely to cause much stress. Even a radio broadcast heard only in Australia would not seem too damaging for a, quote, victim in Britain. But a viral prank, prank that flashes around the globe on radio, TV, the internet, and newspapers can make even a silly joke seem to carry the weight of the world. Pranksters must always be accountable for their actions, but in the digital age, the burden of responsibility also lies with those who use the echo chamber to amplify things to the point of distortion and stress. Unless we're careful, the joke is on us. So I think it's a very important to consider this whole thing under perspective. 
And I wouldn't even comment about this other than it's a radio show that we do down here. We don't pull pranks on people. We do make uh, sort of sarcastic comments about some of our public figures because most of them are nincompoops, idiots, and crooks. And that's what we try to expose down here, the folly of the powers that be. But we're not pranking anybody. And I think that in the case of this, these Australian DJs, we do need to let some facts come out. We need to find out more before we begin jumping to conclusions about the cause and effect here that I think has probably, I suspect, I'm not positive, but has probably gotten a little bit out of control with the echo chamber that uh, uh, <clears throat> that uh, fellow that I just read, I just misplaced the column, uh, Peter Funt. I think that that is a good perspective on who the joke's on. So uh, keep that in mind. Don't take things so seriously. Um, we had a football player just recently, by the way, commit a murder-suicide. We don't know all the facts on that case. We, don't, we shouldn't be jumping to conclusions about um, you know, concussion problems or whatnot. This might have just been a jealous rage that got out of control. We don't know. Suicides are always mysterious, and we still don't even know if this nurse committed suicide. So sometimes we have to be cautious. We have to wait for more of the facts to develop. And that's the way it should be, because the truth is important. Well, the truth is important down here on Great Matters, here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We would like to thank Tex Mannheim for engineering this uh, uh, evening here on the show, and uh, tune in to him sometime this Saturday. I'm not sure if he's actually doing the folk show or the... Uh, the, the bluegrass show or the uh, down-home show, but he'll be on Saturday sometime between 10 and 3. I will be on And I noticed that three. Morgan Drake is uh, down in the studio, so he's pinch-hitting for Jerry Mack this evening uh, here on uh, uh, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. So do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming right next on this fine station. Every experience is a learning experience including LSD. There's no such thing as a flashback, Danny. You need to get a job so that you can curb this free-form anxiety of yours. WCBN FM Ann Arbor. It's free-form! 88.3 Anya Tosta! Oh, 
Yeah. 